Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reinsurance Podcast. I am your co-host, Jared Lee. And I'm Ben Rose, here against my will. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Jared, because today's topic is one that does not interest me very much. I don't know enough about it, and that's probably why. Yeah. And it often gets accused of being vaguely close to the technology space in which we work. It does. But go on, convince me in this episode that we actually do care about blockchain, crypto, and everything that goes on on the dark side of finance. Yeah, it's... Uh... Do we care about blockchain? I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> blockchain <laughs> is, in fact, a thing. Um, what we wanted to spend a bit of this episode talking about was um, was crypto in in sort of the the mirror of the FTX collapse. Um, there's been a bunch of conversations historically about where does crypto fit in the insurance segment and vertical um, in its entirety, and and how that the industry will evolve to. Sub- provide crypto protection and coverage and all these types of things. Um, but but lean into one of the largest um, erosions of value in, in recent, I mean, the, the amount of money that, that collapsed with, with def, the FTX bankruptcy um, was profound. And I think it sort of shown a bunch of light on on the space and the vertical and how it's impacted by insurance and reinsurance um, more broadly. So I wanted to touch on that. Even I have brought notes today for the first time on the reinsurance podcast. There's a notepad here with... I, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm probably giving it a bit of a hard time. Uh, you know, we And I'd love to go back into the sort of the journey to crypto and mm-hmm. going a long time ago uh, to Bitcoin. I'd, I'd be interested to hear your your memories of your first interactions with, you know, yeah, a, a Bitcoin. What is that? Or yeah. you know, seeing this comic-like kind of B with a line through it, a symbol, and yeah. wondering what on earth that could mean. Um, I actually ended up having to become a sort of semi-expert for early blockchain mm-hmm. and distributed ledger technology when it was first coming onto the scene because I was the insurtech consultant person at mm-hmm. Aon, and so had to guide lot, lots of our clients through many myriad topics. Uh, including, you know, AI, machine learning, blockchain, etc. And blockchain was always the most controversial one because it was released with this tagline of, oh, it could be it, it, the perfect use case is insurance, one, mm-hmm. you know, and, and two, it could make everyone redundant as a result. Uh, and so we just had so many conversations of panic that this decentralized version of record keeping yeah. effectively could become the norm. Yeah. And... I guess we're about to discuss the the ways in which it did become a norm for some people and the resulting trauma that it caused. Well, it's it's important. <laughs> that model fell down a bit. Yeah, it's important to define or highlight the difference between blockchain, which is the technology on which um, a number of things can happen, including the trading and purchasing and utilization of cryptocurrencies, and cryptocurrencies themselves being an asset which leverage a blockchain technology um, in order to be deployed. But so the blockchain piece aside, I thought, I think the industry, and I think we might run a whole other episode on just blockchain and and insurance, because I think it was one that um, was very much seen as where the future of the industry would take it. And, and in some ways, if, if the technology became so ubiquitous that it began to be the framework by which all technology was built going forward, essentially, um, blockchain bulls sort of looking at it going, this will be sort of the new framework of the internet, right? In, in that case, it, it might evolve somewhere there. But um, 
there's I think there's a whole case we made in the conversation we had about that. But if we look at just cryptocurrencies, um, the earliest being Bitcoin, um, the earliest I'm aware of being Bitcoin, and I think that's I think that's correct. Um, the first experience I had with it, and this is sort of me old man shouting at clouds, um, was was in university, and it was back in the this was back when Bitcoin would have been a couple dollars a coin. Um, and I remember there was the stories of people, like what it was being used for. And at the time, it was still very much seen as this untraceable, um, anonymous sort of system. And it was always, it was all used for mm-hmm. selling in drugs and, and buying illegal services on the internet. And, and I kind of looked at it going, I don't know where this fits in the world. But a lot of people made a bunch of money, right? There's a lot of people who took advantage of cryptos and became very, very wealthy. Um, as more coins emerged over time, you saw the sort of speculation of coins continue to rise. And you saw the, the, uh, the introduction of sites like Binance and FTX and, and others to, as a means by which you could trade various cryptos and, and speculate. Um, but it, it, always, it always sort of remained in this realm of um, f- currencies by which you could speculate on their rising and falling in value. Yeah, I mean, and I think it came off the back of, at the, at the time, people were less aware that it was actually a double-edged sword in that yeah. you could both destroy the environment as much as possible whilst <laughs> slow <laughs> yeah. creating a currency at the same time as making the providers and purveyors of illegal goods yeah. uh, very, very wealthy uh, almost overnight with virtually no work. Yeah, I, I think that began to get people excited, right? You'd see all these news stories coming out that like, oh, a guy who sits and you know mines bitcoins ends up becoming multi-millionaire mm. overnight because gradually more and more people are interested in this bitcoin thing yeah and i think what we saw afterwards was actually obviously this huge pent-up demand and not much supply mm. and people needing some kind of official-esque framework and, and i think everybody had one of those friends if not it was perhaps you yourself you were listening uh, to this podcast but somebody who had found a way to buy or sell uh, Bitcoin or one of you know the other coins that came out mm-hmm. uh, as Ethereum started to offer other ways of doing it and so on. Yeah. But there was always somebody who say, oh, well, I use Coinbase or I use, you know, whichever site you might have used, whichever marketplace you might have used to exchange, you know, fiat currencies or mm-hmm. real, <laughs> I think we call them real, yeah. uh, central bank coordinated currencies in a traditional sense um, to swap them for a share of these larger currencies and, and ever since then i you know there's been no stop really to the roller coaster of the valuations of these cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. that have gone up and down and up and down yeah. based on the the whims of whatsapp groups around the world yeah well and and this is there's um in a similar way when you saw the uh the sort of meme stocks right GameStop and all this sort of stuff that there were people who got in that who followed the Reddit, thre- the Wall Street Bros subreddit, and made a bunch of money. But most people who got in on this sort of massive spike in this trend lost all their money, right? And I think the same thing is is true in a lot of the sort of heavy crypto traders. There's certainly a lot of people who've made a huge amount of money, but the vast majority of people, like in all these sort of behavioral sort of um, movements, ended up losing their shirt, right? And I think the FTX collapse caused so many more people to lose their shirt. And it, it has caused the industry to take a step back and push, to shine a light on what's happened and gone, where have we gone wrong? And 
And there's a few things that happen there that I think need to be solved for crypto to really anger itself going forward. Um, one is there's no sort of governmental framework by which pro- that which protects these assets in there, right? Like, um, if you go to a bank, like all all major banks around the world will have some uh, some limit of amount of default insurance that you get for your deposits. Like those things do not exist in a crypto world. So it can if there's a rush on the banks. It won't go to zero. You're not going to lose everything the way you did in sort of the, the crashes in the early 1900s. Um, I mean, FTX being a prime example, right? Yeah. In, the, in the sense that, and the best thing is the guy's name as well. For those of you who don't know, the, the sort of founder or owner was, was a guy called Bankman Freed, yeah. Sam Bankman Freed, uh, who in his quest to free people from the Bankman, mm-hmm. I decided to store effectively or, or to hold a lot of his own or the banks the actual entities assets in other risky crypto coins yeah uh, including many i think which he was also separately involved in yeah. so it's something like the entire wealth of uh the ftx or like a very large portion of, of the assets held in ftx were actually i i won't say collateralized but effectively backed up mm. by this other coin that he was the main owner of yeah <laughs> They they built all manner of clever ways to stabilize the coins and um, his own coin verse and as well as other coins being traded, um, but because it was all sort of mathematically linked, when one of them in the chain began to drop, the whole thing became to fall down. Um, I'm I'm proud you didn't go to a Sam Bankman in jail. <laughs> no, indeed, um, but yeah, he's he's in a lot of trouble from that now. Um, and it's it's interesting. There's a lot of comparisons to him because he'd promised to give away a huge amount of his personal wealth because um, he'd become a multi billionaire at that point. And there's a lot of comparisons to him to uh, John Pierpont Morgan and another someone else who sort of donated a huge amount after amassing ridiculous wealth uh, as JP Morgan began to rise. Um, but but it was a lot more speculative and a lot less sort of built in in traditional forms. But the as crypto began to emerge as a class and and you have even even in this space you can probably include um, uh, digital art in this this sort of stuff. Um, Insurance has begun to try to respond to that, and the insurance industry has always been very good at recognizing assets and things people want to protect and building solutions that allow them to protect those assets. Um, for us as the Reinsurance Podcast, there is in fact a reinsurance company focused on supporting the insurance companies in this space called Realm. Um, and again, the angle being they were designed to support this type of class and, and everything else, uh, but like any major carrier who's very heavily exposed to a certain class, they in, they reinsured a huge amount of FTX stuff. And although there's a lot of assets and wealth that has just been entirely erased, um, there's still insurance on the hook for some of that, and, and they're getting rinsed a little bit as a result as well. And, and I think this is where, you know, again, you need experts in the space to have a hope of coming out with, you know, your your shirt, mm-hmm. as you said earlier. I. Um, and I think some of the things that were done as insurers began to grapple with this this whole new asset class, I uh, were to look at the different types of asset in some ways and, and how those assets were stored, uh, and also uh, what type of of peril effectively they were covering against. So, so yeah. some of the most traditional forms we've seen it, a theft, for example. So 
I mean, I don't I don't know the wordings well enough to know whether Sam Bankman Freed's fraudulent kind of activity could be counted as theft theft. Mm. Uh but in most cases it would be, you know, somebody's stolen the the details to get into your wallet. Um but we came up with these other concepts or we these concepts in in insurance uh came to be known of to quote uh, Katy Perry, your your hot and your cold storage. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see that one coming, did you? I did not. But uh, this idea that, you know, basically those coins that you have in hot storage, so those that are out on, on the market, are, mm-hmm. are, are more risky than those that you've got stored offline, effectively, mm-hmm. um, in cold storage. And so different rates would be applied depending on how your, your coins were looked yeah. after, effectively. But they had to come up with some kind of parameters. I... But cold storage, um, whilst it's protected from the risk of hacking to some degree, it's the equivalent of burying money underneath your house or the sort of there was um, a famous story from a number of years ago where um, it was like it was like drug dealers in Latin America or something. But there was a, a massive fire that had come through and just burnt hundreds of millions of dollars that were like buried in the woods mm-hmm. and cold storage. And there's there's a, a story out maybe a few weeks back now, but there was a person who had a jump drive with like a couple million pounds of crypto on it. And they had like one more password guess before the thing would be locked forever. And like, that's the, also the risk of pure cold storage is that if you get locked out and, and the way crypto often gets set is you have to have these really long, complicated passwords to sort of store the, store the, uh, the uh, lock the data that it, presents a risk of going if you forget where you wrote that down that is forever inaccessible and that's equally frightening right so again when you look at it and compare it to the you know sort of rise and stabilization of fiat currencies around the world we had to build mechanisms to make it safer to be in a bank than be buried in your backyard we had to make it safer to trade then so we we solved these problems bit by bit by bit and i think cryptocurrencies will go through a similar journey but you you raise an interesting analogy from an insurance perspective on how we protect and let's say underwrite this risk it's it's the same way a couple hundred years ago we'd have all these fires and we would say okay we'll we'll insure you now but are you doing? Are you locking your doors? Are you building your building in a way that is at least, you know, more secure and more fireproof than the old way? And and I think when you look at how we underwrite most insurance risks, we'll sort of go through and go: Are you protecting yourself before we insure you? Are you trying to mitigate your risk? I think we'll do the same thing in crypto going forward: is insuring and forcing that sort of diligence of underwriting. No, absolutely. I, I'm optimistic, you know, that, that something will come of this space. I know, I know we've seen from, you know, its early roots uh, of more questionable kind of uh, patterns of, of cryptocurrency to something that was available easily on the Challenger Bank's apps, you know, that you could easily balance your risk between different currencies of the crypto and non-crypto variety. Uh, but it does raise a question now after a crash like FTX as to whether that's something that the market will recover from mm-hmm. because without that you know there's there's not really going to be demand for an insurance class that becomes yeah. you know comparably large i think typically we've seen uh, insurance markets track gdp uh, for the given i mean or, or less in some cases but but for the given uh, amount of 
wealth generated by the thing being insured, right? So the more the more crypto there is, presumably the more insurance there will be. But I think at the moment there's a big question mark as to how much more crypto yeah. <laughs> there will be. Yeah, and I, I think um, the markets respond slowly to that, especially with individuals doing things. So you've, you've always seen after, the, after crashes historically, there's always been a response and the market rebounding there. But a lot of that's driven by professional traders, right, who are incentivized to, to bring capital back into the market, re-encourage people to reinvest in the, in, in the stock markets after, after some crashing. Um, so I, I think it will happen. I just don't know. I have no idea what the time frame for that might look like from a crypto perspective. We'll uh, have but to it's wait and see. We will indeed. But I think it's all we can do on a on crypto for the time being. We're nowhere near sufficiently expert in this space, but we might dive into this in future podcasts. But with that, thank you for listening to this episode of the Reinsurance Podcast. <laughs>